0: lead pastor here. Welcome. Great to be together. Great to be in the Lord's presence. And before his life-giving word, I pray this morning that as we dig into this section of scripture, Ephesians 6:10 through 14, and 14 in particular, that the Lord would meet us in powerful and specific ways to teach us his truth, to impact our lives, to grant us victory in him. In areas, perhaps where maybe previously, uh, even maybe this morning, you've been struggling, and even experiencing some sort of defeat, I believe God wants to meet you through His Word. We come together uh, not just to learn something, not for a lecture, not just for some spiritual or religious reason. We come to encounter the living God as we gather, and we sing and we celebrate, and the gifts of practice, and we celebrate the sacraments together and come before His living Word, we come to encounter God Himself. He's alive. And he lives and He speaks to us and He frees the captives and He matures His people and He empowers His people to go forward in His mission. He's, he's God. and He's here. And He wants to minister to us through His Word. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask Him to speak to us and to do all that He has in mind through his word lord we thank you for your word we thank you that you're the living god we thank you lord that you rescue the captives that that you came and you have made all things you've come as god the man jesus christ and you lived the righteous life we could never live and you died for our sins and on that cross shedding your blood you paid for all of our sins you conquered the the tyranny of sin and death so in you we are forgiven and free and now, Lord, You're leading us in the victory that's guaranteed by Your resurrection. You're leading us in these spiritual blessings that we have, and You're using us to impact others. You're forming us more and more like Christ, and one day You will return and You will finish what You started. There will be no more no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, only glory in Your presence forever. So thank You, Lord, for who You are and what You're doing, and thank You that Your Word... It's how you accomplish these things. And you have things in mind to do in and among us and through us today. And I I ask, we ask, Lord, do all that is on your heart through your word. Speak to us. Speak life and freedom and victory in you and power in you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Please read with me in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read verse 10 and then stop at 14. 10 through 20 is really the whole section. But we're digging into this section of Scripture on spiritual warfare. Learning how to apply really all that we've seen in Ephesians. This letter full of the blessings we have in Christ and full of the implications that come from those blessings. Really lived out here in the context of spiritual warfare. So verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. God's word from Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 14. And I want to particularly focus on verse 14 and particularly the part about having fastened on the belt of truth. We'll dig into that today. First story to set some context. When um, I was in 10th grade, I played football for the first time. I had never played before. Um, and um, I actually hadn't been allowed to play, but I started playing in 10th grade, and there's a really steep learning curve. And and, uh, unfortunately, my first day of practice, I was late, and I hadn't learned how to put on the football equipment. Do you know that there are actually 30 pieces or even more of equipment to put on when you play football? 30 different pieces. Um, Pads and clothing and all this different stuff. And as you can imagine, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where the thirty pieces went. There's some pieces that seem kind of obvious, right? The helmet obviously goes on my head. The shoes go on my feet. But then there are all these other things. There's all these pads. There's the shoulder pads. Do you actually know you can put the shoulder pads on backwards and not know it? It's it's, it's no one tells you. Um, it's not necessarily easy to tell. Uh, the slope of the pads usually go this way, forward. So that's kind of how you know. But uh, and then there are all these other little pads you wear. Um, all over the place. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to put on all these pads by myself. Um, and, and I did my best, because there was no one else in the locker room, to put on my pads. And you can imagine what I looked like going out onto the field. Uh, I went out on the field. First off, I, I didn't know that you had to wear all white, so the pants were given their white, but the shirt, you're supposed to wear a white shirt. I had a navy blue shirt. So here I come onto the field with a navy blue shirt while everyone else is wearing white, And not only that, but I didn't know where the pads went. And so as I played, I had pads kind of coming out of my pants at times uh, and just kept on stuffing them in, (laughs) not knowing where they went. Um, So I was ridiculed, and that was a healthy thing because it motivated me to find out exactly how to wear that equipment. And I, I learned where to put all those 30 different pieces of uniform. Well, the uniform of a Christian is much simpler In our passage in Ephesians, there are only six or so components to worry about. But I believe too often we run out onto the playing field, really the battlefield, with our equipment not properly fastened, not knowing how to wear it, not knowing what to wear, not knowing how to operate in that. And and we are just as silly in some ways as I was running onto that field back in 10th grade. And what I want to do today, and I want to do in the following weeks, is to talk about these six components with the expectation that we will learn how to wear these things properly, so that we might learn to function in them effectively, and in Christ to win on that battlefield called life. One of the most important pieces in the six pieces, this uniform, this Christian uniform, is the belt of truth and so we're going to function uh, focus on this function today the belt of truth verse 14 tells us to to wear this belt of truth to stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth the picture here uh in the picture in the beginning you saw was a roman soldier that's the metaphor that paul's using would have been familiar to the ephesians uh they were probably many of them were veterans had been in the Roman army or they would have seen Roman soldiers. So this was a picture that to them was real. They could, they could understand what this looked like. And so Paul is speaking of this belt of truth. He's really probably speaking of the armored kilt that the Roman soldier would have worn. The Kind of the, the basis of the uniform was this armored kilt that would go over the legs and would have a belt with it that would hold the anchor for the the sword, the sheath for the sword and so forth. So I think that's going on but also for paul who is who is an old testament expert um and as a as a believer at the time a jewish believer he would have been steeped in the word of god and been very familiar and probably would have memorized most of it for him also uh there's a passage in isaiah 11 that i think was functioning and scholars would say as well was functioning in his mind in isaiah 11 where this idea of the armor uh is used in a metaphor speaking of God's righteous King who would come, the, the Messiah, the Christ, who would come. It says in Isaiah eleven two, "...and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord." It's speaking of the Spirit resting on the Messiah, this chosen King. And then it speaks about Him in verse 5, saying, "...righteousness shall be the belt of His waist, and faithfulness the belt of His loins." So this Messiah who's going to come is going to wear these these items, these characteristics in His armor. And it speaks of faithfulness, the belt of His loins. Actually, in the the Greek version of the Old Testament, it it uses the exact same word for truth that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 6. This belt of truth. The idea is uh, faithfulness can mean fidelity and truthfulness and truth. They're, They're connected items. And so here, it's saying that the Messiah comes wrapped in truth. That, that truth is not just an idea for the Messiah. It's not just a, a, an intellectual commitment. His life, His action, His role is wrapped in the truth of God, in the, the character of God, in God's truthfulness, and a truthful life that flows from that. And similarly for the believer. Ephesians 6 says that we are to wrap ourselves in truth. It's to be the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our armor. We are to wrap ourselves up in truth. At the very core of who we are, the very core of our Christian identity, the very core of what we're called to do should be truth, should be the truth of God and the truthfulness that flows from that. It's important to understand how truth is used by Paul because truth can be used different ways. We can use truth in the the idea of just telling the truth, right? So don't tell white lies. Don't tell lies. Tell the truth. Be accurate. Be accurate in what happened. Don't shade it. Don't change it. Be truthful. It can mean that. But truth can also be intellectual truth or ideas, right? This is one plus one is two. That's truth in math. And, And so how... How is Paul using truth here? What does it mean to wrap ourselves in the belt of truth? Does it mean we're good math students? Does it mean that we are honest and don't tell white lies? Or or what does it mean? Well, we always want to look at context. And so you can look in Ephesians, and there's a number of verses, five different verses actually, where truth, uh, or true, Pretty much the same word is used. Ephesians one thirteen says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Um, and then in Ephesians four fifteen, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians four twenty one says assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. In Ephesians 5.9, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. These are five different uses of truth in Ephesians. Three of the five, actually, are very clearly speaking of gospel truth. Very clearly speaking of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news, the truth of who Christ is, what He's done, His Death for sin, his resurrection from the grave, and all that flows from that gospel truth—that the lifestyle that flows out of belonging to Jesus and believing in him, and therefore obeying him. The two other instances could also be understood that way. Perhaps they have broader application into truthfulness. So Ephesians 4:25, speaking the truth with his neighbor; and Ephesians 5:9, all that is good and right and true. The broader what is true, but these two are actually connected. And th- this is an important point in, in Ephesians and in Scripture. Truth and truthfulness go together. Truth and truthfulness go together. Your truthfulness, your accuracy in how you understand yourself and how you communicate about yourself and about life is very much tied to the ultimate truth. They're connected. They're, they're not to be disconnected. We, we can have this idea that, that truth can be disconnected from truthfulness. We could be committed to what's true, but, but then be, be deceitful in how we live. But that's a contradiction. And Ephesians teaches us that this Gospel, this good news, this truth of the Gospel comes in and transforms us. And as we, as we saturate ourselves in this truth and let it fill our minds and dictate our lives, it create, p- creates people who live in truth. People who can face the harsh realities of life that we might want to shade We can face those honestly in the truth of the Gospel and be honest about ourselves and be honest with our lives and communicate humbly and honestly and faithfully. So they go together. But it's so important to understand that at the core, the ultimate truth is the truth about Jesus. The ultimate truth is is what Christ has done. Who He is. This isn't just the ultimate truth for the purpose of this message or Ephesians, this is the ultimate truth. This is the ultimate truth of the Bible. This is the ultimate truth of reality. The ultimate truth of reality is Jesus. God in the flesh. He is the ultimate truth of creation. He's the ultimate fact. The determining factor. The central truth. The greatest idea of everything. And all other truth is From Him, and through Him, and to Him. This wonderful truth, the good news of Christ, that that God became a man. Amazing. (laughs) That the eternal, infinite God, the Holy One, the perfect One, would become a human being, a a, a man. And live among us, and and walk in humility, and be subject to poverty and, and mistreatment. And yet, in all those things, He was faithful to love His Father. And to love others. His life was was the perfect life, and the fact that he loved God and loved others perfectly, faithfully, no matter what, no matter what the the circumstances, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross, even to the point of death on a cross, bearing the foul and vile sins of, of his people throughout all time. He was faithful, loving God and loving others. He went to that cross, bore sin bore the, the justice of God. The holy wrath of God. and God's truthfulness, He must deal with sin. Sin is rebellion against the One who is perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly innocent, perfectly loving. And it must be dealt with. The, the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty to pay. In God's truthfulness, His justice, His goodness. But in His character, He's also a God of infinite mercy and love. And so Christ bore our sins on the cross to pay for those. For any and all, He invites any and all who would come to Him to receive that forgiveness. To receive the forgiveness of having all of your sins, all of your offenses against God, all of your offenses against others paid for. It's glorious good news. There's nothing better there's no better news, there's no better truth than God has become a man and died for your sins. And He's risen from the grave on the third day, victorious over sin and death. That's the core truth. That's the ultimate truth. And that'll be the truth we celebrate greater than any other forever and ever and ever. The Lamb who was slain. That's who we're worshiping around the throne. That truth is glorious. God, and God shows His truth, all the other truths really, in that truth of the Gospel. He shows His character ultimately through Christ, through what Christ has done. He, he shows His holiness. He's so holy that He will not tolerate any sin. He will deal with every sin in His justice. He's so holy that, it, that He had to punish the Son, God the Son, and God the Trinity worked together on that. They were not at odds. They together decided on this plan. But His holiness is so perfect and full that it, only, it took... The Son, God the Son, paying for our sins to satisfy His holy demands. And it took God the Son living the righteous life to satisfy His holy demands for mankind. It shows His justice. It shows His wisdom. His wisdom and working together His holiness and justice and His love all in Christ crucified on the cross. It shows His mercy and His love. It shows His plan to work out all things in the end for good and for glory. Christ rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. He's the firstborn among many. See, this isn't a plan that's static. It's going somewhere. There's redemption. He's rescuing us from our sin not to simply leave us in in a a semi-broken state, but to redeem us fully. To to give us resurrection bodies and, and to resurrect all of creation really as a new creation. And his final goal. All these truths about God flow out of that central truth of the Gospel. And it creates people who can live in truth. Because in the Gospel, we know that we have been shown to be so sinful, so seriously broken, that God himself the greatest being had to come as a man to rescue us so why should i go around deceiving people that i'm someone great when the gospel's already said no you're not in your sin and rebellion in your choices you deserve death separation from god the cross criticizes me more than anyone ever could so I can be honest with who I am. I don't have to hide myself. I don't have to create a persona that somehow I've got it all together. I'm omnicompetent and I'm worthy of heaven. I can be truthful about what's in my heart. Now, I need to be appropriate. I don't need to go around and tell everybody I meet, let me tell you my worst sin this week. You know I don't need to do that. That's not the same as truthfulness. But I can tell some. I can share with others. I don't have to hide. I'm forgiven. And I have a God who's Committed to me in Christ. Committed to you. And so I can be truthful. I can be hopeful. I can, I can be accurate in how I see things and how I communicate. Because my hope's in Him. Not in, in my false scenarios and my web of lies or what I need to do to you know, here or there. I, I don't have to deceive people to get them to do what I want. Because my God's sovereign and He's wise and He's good. I can face that boss with the truth Knowing that maybe he doesn't want to hear the truth. Maybe he'll be upset. Maybe he'll fire me. Because I did this, I broke the piece of equipment or I lost that account or whatever. I can can be truthful. I don't have to deceive. I can walk in honesty. Now there's a wise way to do that, certainly. But I, I don't have to fear. I can live in truth. I can confess my sins to one another. I can be honest about my struggles. And I can fill my life with the truth of the Gospel and all the truths of Scripture. I can wrap myself in that belt of truth and live in it. And it functions. It's my hope. It's my life. It's my identity. It fills my words. It fills my vocabulary. It influences my relationships. It's how I think about my life and, and life in general. It's how I think about other relationships. That central truth with all that flows with it is to encompass our lives in every way and create truthful people truth tellers in terms of the gospel truth tellers in every other way i hope that makes sense i believe that's what paul's talking about here and that is a core weapon against the enemy's schemes that's a core weapon against the alternative which is a life of being deceived and deceiving others it's an essential weapon. It's a, it's a glorious weapon. This truth of the Gospel and this life of truth. Actually, in Ephesians, earlier on in chapter 4, Paul talks about, gives a picture of this. And in another way, it's a different metaphor, but I think it's helpful. You can turn there. Ephesians four eleven to 15 I think we have it to project as well. Sound familiar? Rather, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Here we see truth, the belt of truth, functioning in the church. We see leaders of the church, the the fivefold leaders. Uh, local and extra local leaders coming to bring the truth to god's people to to teach the truth to equip them through the truth through the word of god equip them to be those that that build each other up and are truth speakers truth livers those with the truth wrapped around them with the belt of truth in their lives ministering to one another and what happens when they do that speaking the truth in love right when you get the truth it creates love so speaking the truth in love what happens the body grows up into maturity. The gro- body grows up actually. This is amazing to actually look and be like Christ, to, to really even be Christ locally. That's what happens when we wrap ourselves in the truth, wrap our own lives, and, and minister to one another as we receive the equipping on a Sunday morning in other contexts and share truth and are in each other's lives, and wrap ourselves in this truth, we minister to one another, and together we grow up to look like Jesus and to do the sorts of things that Jesus would have us do. Isn't that glorious? That's how it works. That's what church does. That's that's how this belt of truth functions for us. What's the alternative here? If we don't wrap ourselves in this belt of truth, we are like children, right? And these aren't cute children at a, for a photo op. These are children who are caught up in an ocean hurricane. They're children. That's a scary thought. Children in little boats on the ocean in a hurricane. That's the picture here. And they're tossed to and fro by the waves. The wind blows one way one day, and it blows another way the other day, and they are cast all about. They are in danger. They are in peril their lives are at stake. These waves, they're carried about by every wind of doctrine, The latest idea, the latest Christian or pseudo-Christian heresy, human cunning, deceitful schemes, they're just blown everywhere. That's the alternative. So this is, this is not like... The, you don't have a third option here. There's no like, you know... I'm going to live in the option like not be the child blown about and not be fully enveloped in the Word. I'm just going to kind of be in the middle. No, there's no middle. You're either wrapping yourself in the truth and letting it shape your lives and sharing with others and living in that and becoming like Christ more and more together, or you're being blown here and there without the truth wrapped around your lives. That's the alternative. God wants something so much better for you. I want to see all of us together in each of us individually to wrap ourselves up in the truth of God, to let it fill our hearts and our lives and, and, and create our identities and motivate us in our ministry and in our love and in our relationships in such a way that we're mature and we're not blown here and there. The answer to being blown here and there is to wrap yourself in truth. The belt of truth. There are so many deceitful schemes out there. There are so many... Alternative ideas, untruth, semi-truths, to blow you here and there, and each one of them has an answer in the Word of God—a contrary answer. Actually, I want to take some time just to walk through that. There are all things like heresies and Christian fads or pseudo-Christian fads. There's cultural trends, philosophies, ideas. There's there's personal lies that enter into our lives to hook us, to lead us into doubt or discouragement or distraction or disobedience. Here's just a list of some, and I actually had a longer list, because I've just, as I encounter these myself, as I pastor people, I I see these, and there's a long list, and I and I don't want you to end this list to be overwhelmed, but I just want you to see how this works, and and I want you to see at least one thing here, perhaps for you, a a lie, a deceitful scheme, a, a something that's untrue that may grip you, and then the alternative. So I'm just going to go through this list of lies and then the counter truth from the word and then how it relates to the gospel so we'll just do this exercise i do this because i want you to learn to do this in your life throughout your day and throughout your week and when you're tempted and stretched and and not just personally but when you're ministering to someone else it's the same thing every deceitful scheme everything that blows someone around has an answer in the word of god and how we wrap ourselves in the truth is we live in it and we minister to each other we remind each other of these truths we pray for each other. We spend time in the Word ourselves. So first, just these are just different worldly ideas, lives that are out there and so forth. First, tolerance and respect are the highest virtues. This is a prominent idea in our culture. The highest virtues, interpersonal vir- virtues, are tolerance and respect. It's all about that. And don't ever do otherwise. Well, Scripture says loving God is the highest virtue. It's not about interpersonal first. It's about God. Your relationships with others are first about God and then about that person. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment, Matthew and other places say. And the gospel truth with that is that only in Christ do we have the ability to be transformed, to walk in that virtue. So we look to Christ to give us the ability to love God and then love others. Just one idea. Have you ever seen that idea? It's out there, right? Here's the truth of God. Let that wrap your life up. Um, another idea that's out there, safety and comfort are essential human rights. Now, I'm not sure if anyone's articulating this. I think in the, in the UN thing on child's rights, it's there. But there's this idea that safety and comfort are, are the ultimate rights, and we should live for that. Now, there's value in that, but it's, it's a semi-truth. These are not rights. They're blessings, and they can become idols. God actually rebukes in Amos and elsewhere. Woe to those who are are at ease in Zion (laughs) and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. Woe to you! You're in that place of comfort and ease, and woe to you because it's not the highest priority. And the Gospel truth with that is ultimate safety and comforts in Christ alone, not in my circumstances. There's a value in safety and security, don't get me wrong, but it's not the highest right that we have. The physical world is all there is. Another one. Well, the Bible says the spiritual world is really more important than the physical world. It's not to be separated from it, but it's, if of the two, the spiritual world actually is more significant. We're to set our minds on things that are above, Colossians 3 tells us, not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Spiritual reality is more important than mere physical reality. The world wants to live in the physical realm. We must understand the spiritual realm is the greater reality and rules over the physical realm and will determine the physical realm. Christ is the central object of the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Science has the only reliable answers. That's something that's out there, prominent, depending on where you are and what you're exposed to. You'll, You'll meet people. That's actually not science, by the way. That's scientism. That's when you take science where it doesn't belong to say it has... The only reliable answer is it's the answer. God has this to say. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, along with their ideas. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. God's Word has the only reliable answers. And the gospel itself is the center of that, the only ultimate reliable answer. Nothing wrong with science itself, but it does not give us reliable answers. Others, all religions are equal. Well, that's clearly not true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No doubt about it in Scripture that that is true. The exclusivity of Christ is not about being exclusive. There's just no other way to get there. Only Christ can save. That's what it's about. So it's more about the wonder that we have a Savior and everything else will not get you there. The efforts of man will not make it. Only in Christ. So look to Christ alone. Uh, Many pass to God. Uh, Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but Christ salvation and no one else here's another one don't be one of those bible basher christians you ever felt that um you know as you get to know your friends maybe they're not believers or they're nominal believers and and there's just kind of this thing don't be a bible basher you know just don't like be so into the bible just you kind of can overdo it i don't know if you've ever had that one i've seen it um the bible doesn't say that the bible says be a bible basher i mean don't be a jerk uh in it but but be in the bible be love the bible psalm 1 says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers don't be a marker be a a bible lover in the Word of God, being blessed. Oh, uh, you don't need to take the Gospel so seriously. It's another one. Come on, you can't be too serious about the Gospel and the good news. Why are you guys always talking about the Gospel? Well, the Bible tells us the Gospel is of first importance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you what, uh, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Of first importance is this good news. Uh, lots of, there's lots of others. You, uh, you don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. Well, a Christian without a church is a contradiction. First John 2 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not all of us. To be a believer is to be connected to God's people in a local church somewhere. To not be in a local church is a contradiction. The Gospel brings us to Christ and therefore brings us together church is full of hypocrites sometimes you hear that well that might be true to some extent but that's not god's statement on the church god's statement is this is my body the church is the body of christ it is so important to him it is his bride it's united with him it's precious yes it's got sinners yes we mess up yes at times we're hypocritical but god loves us We are precious to Him. And He's working in us and through us. And to love God is to love His bride. You can't can't love Christ and not love His bride. You wouldn't go up to a married couple and only pay attention to the guy and say, no, actually, I hate your wife, but you're a great guy. You wouldn't do that. The guy would be insulted, right? Christ is insulted when we say the church is full of hypocrites. When He says, this is my precious bride. Both globally, the whole church capital C, but also locally, the local church. There's there's lots of others. I hope these serve you. Uh, Here's one. You are unlovable. At times, the enemy can get in there and lie that you're just unlovable. You have sinned just so many times. You're not lovable. Ephesians 1 says, in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons, as sons and daughters is the implication, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. That's amazing. Before time began, and the infinite love of God, He looked and saw you, and He chose you because He loves you. You are so lovable. He was willing to die for you. He was willing to suffer infinite hells to purchase you. You'll never know the full extent of His love for you. It's the greatest thing you could ever know. He loves you that much. If you have put your faith in Him, you can be sure that He has loved you from before time. And His invitation is to any and all who would come to receive that love. And when you receive it, you must know He has loved you from eternity with an infinite love. Don't ever believe in your weakest moment, your greatest failure, that He doesn't love you. He loves you so much, He's given you Christ, and He's given you every reason to believe in Him and to find in Him the power for forgiveness and for change in your life. Sometimes we have this idea come in, maybe if you are one who suffers with depression at times, life is misery, then you die. Have you ever felt like that at times? Maybe for a moment, maybe you've been in a season. Life is misery, and then you die. The Bible has another, lots of other things to say about that. Life does involve suffering, but also joy unspeakable in Christ. We are to experience joy, and it ultimately all will be for joy. So James 1-2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count kind of joy that you're suffering. Because it goes on to say He's using all that for ultimate good. And there's loads of other verses I could look at. The Gospel tells us really this, that life isn't misery, then you die. Life is grace, sustaining grace, and then you are rewarded with eternal joy. That's what life is. I'm skipping some here that are on the screen, but next is you should take your life. It would make it easier for everybody. That's a a deep, dark lie of the enemy that comes in. hate that line. God hates that line. This is what He says. This is what Paul says, and this is what should be for us. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ, who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. My own life isn't mine to To give away. Matter of fact, I've already died with Christ. and He lives in me. And He loves me. He gave Himself for me. He's with me and He wants to use me. He wants to use me to love others. And He wants to be with me in those valleys of darkness. And He wants to shape me and teach me more about Himself. For He Himself knows what it is to suffer. And to go through darkness so severe that He sweat drops of blood as He asked that it would pass from Him. He knows what it feels like to suffer. He wants you to know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. Your life is in Him. There are lots of other verses and and lots of other lies I could go to. There's the lie of of the promise of sin. You know, give yourself to this. Don't follow God's good commands. Give in to Idols, give in to sexual temptation, give in to substance abuse. All those lies. And we counter that with the Word of God. God says, don't do that. He commands us to obey. And He commands us to be satisfied in Him. To find our life in Him. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. If you are feeling empty and you're tempted to go to a sinner or an idol to satisfy yourself, God says, wait on me. Wait on God. Look to God. Bring God your need. Bring God your emptiness. Bring God your hurts." He promises that those who wait on Him shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. Run and not be faint. He will meet you. But you might have to wait. But He will meet you. That's the truth. The Gospel tells us He's provided everything in Christ. Therefore, He'll take care of everything else. So these are all examples of of lies and truth. And we are to live our lives as believers wrapped in these truths, filling our minds and our hearts, filling our conversations with these truths (coughs) to escape the enemy, to escape his deception, to escape this false world that he would want us to live in. There's a movie uh, from 1998, a movie that I think illustrates some of this well, called The Truman Show. I don't know if you've seen it. And this Truman Show, it's it's a reality TV program created around the day-to-day life of of Truman Burbank is the the character's name. And instead of living in the real world, Truman lives in a Hollywood set, an elaborate Hollywood set, the town of Seaside. It's a a Florida-type town. It's surrounded by ocean. And everyone in the town knows that it's a Hollywood set except for Truman. Truman has been in this set since he was an infant. And he's gone through his life, and, and it's a TV show that follows his life. And every, all his friends, all his family, they're all actors. And they all relate to him, and they follow his life. And they also advertise products as they go to make money for the television show. And, and they do all they can to keep Truman convinced that this is the real world. One thing that they do, it's terrible, but they, when he's young, they, they kill off his father on a sailing trip as they were in the ocean, so that he would be afraid of the water and never try to venture off the island, essentially, of seaside. And they do all these things. All his friends are always trying to convince him this is the truth. And finally, you know, I think he's around the age of 30, he finally figures it out, that this is a deception. <coughs> he figures out it's a deception. He puts two and two together, and he finally leaves the set. He sails to the edge of the dome, finds a staircase, walks out, and exits the door, free from the deception. I think it's a picture of how the enemy would work in our lives. He wants to wrap us in deception. He wants to lie to us. He wants to deceive us. What we think about ourselves, what we think about God, what we think about others, how we feel about the day, and whatever it might be, our family, the church, life. And he would keep you like Truman, captive on a false set. But God has come in Christ and his truth to free you. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It changes you. It releases you from the deception and it releases you to live in all that God has for you. The victory he has for you. The new life he has for you. What does that life look like? It looks like becoming like Jesus. Being transformed individually and with his people to look and be like Jesus and to do the things of Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what he wants for us. And if the band could come up as we close, he wants you to wrap the belt of truth around yourself. Just in closing, some ideas on this how to practically do this. What does it look like practically? First, it means knowing your Bible. There's no way around it, guys. Knowing this book is how you get to know the truth. There's all different ways to know it. Read it. Read it. Just read the section we're in today. Read other places. Study it. Get with others who are studying it. We have resources for you. There are groups that meet. Talk about it in the context of small groups. We meet in our community groups regularly to talk about God's Word and talk about what we're learning and apply it to our lives. (coughs) Excuse me memorize the word get in sunday school classes talk about it in context of friendships just to say hey what have what you get out of the word lately or or just say hey look, this morning i read this i started my day reading a psalm here's what i read in that psalm this really helped me what do you think so we share it we know our bibles we get it in our minds we get it in our lives with that secondly preach the gospel preach that core truth over and over because it only takes a, a second really to forget the Gospel, sadly. In our, in our sinful nature, we all, we're always veering off course when, regarding the Gospel. So remind yourself of the Gospel. Christ has died for my sins. And He's risen from the grave. And I'm, in Him I'm a new creation. Tell someone else about that. Tell others. Preach the Gospel to others. We have a resource, actually I forgot to bring it out, called um, Gospel Primer. It's a little a book uh, that I have a number of that's a great way to just go through the Gospel and and take a time every day just to read a segment of it that is full of Scripture and truths about the Gospel. Just to remind yourself. Tell others about it. One of the best ways to get yourself excited about the Gospel is to share it with others and to share it with those that have never heard the Gospel. Pray for opportunities. So preach the Gospel. Fill your life with God's Word. Fill it with God's Word. Be, Be wise in your inputs. Be wise and strategic in your inputs. There are a lot of inputs out there and as we engage the world and engage culture, we need to do so with wisdom. I'm not saying retreat, but make sure that your greatest inputs in your life are the word, things related to the Word of God, not television or entertainment. And as you engage television and entertainment, now bring the Word of God to it. And there's probably redemptive things in that that you can learn from. And that goes with relationships as well. Be wise. Bring the Word to those relationships. Don't let those relationships, the ones that where you're not receiving the Word in, a, in a, a biblical view, don't let them be your chief feeding source. So I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying cut off everything. But don't let the things that are not full of the Word and truth be the dominant way to, to feed your mind. Have the Word of God feed you and then go to those things with the Word of God. So fill your life. And when you're needy, go to the Word. When you're feeling low, when you have a need, go to the Word. God, what would you speak to me through your Word? Talk to others and ask others, where should I look? Boy, the Internet's great. You can, If you have a question, go on the Internet. Where in the Bible does it say this? Is there anything in the Bible that talks about loneliness? You're going to find lots of places that do that. Go to the Word. And identify yourself as someone of the Word. Identify yourself. See yourself as one wrapped in the Word. Don't hide that identity from others. As you deal with people that aren't Christians, don't hide who you are. Identify yourself as someone that is influenced by the Word. You can just share a little bit. You can just, you know, a little word here and there just so they know who you are. Just be who you are. Don't identify yourself as someone apart from the Word. It should be wrapped around you in such a way that you think, I'm a Bible person. I'm a Word of God person. So those are some ways to do that. Uh, why don't we just take a minute as we close here just to prayerfully consider, Lord, is there some way that I can better wrap myself in this belt of truth? Maybe it's for, it's for you personally. Maybe there's someone in your life that you could, just, you, know, you could just be thinking about a way to share the Bible with them, some scripture, some way to encourage them. Whatever it might be, just take a minute and prayerfully consider some way to wrap yourself better in the Word of God. And then we'll close in song.